The book of Acts gives us an important look into what? We opened last week at one of the final encounters that the apostles have with Jesus. That's how it opens. Acts chapter 1 records a question. You can't read over it. Maybe you've read over it your entire life. You're not going to read over it today. The book of Acts begins with a question that the apostles ask Jesus before he ascends into heaven. They don't just ask him this question once. It is marked as a repeated question over and over and over again. A question that reveals their thinking and their desire after three years with Jesus and 40 days after the resurrection. If you spent three years with Jesus, now 40 days with resurrected Jesus, there is a repeated question summarized in Acts chapter 1. Do you know what the question is? They wanted the answer to a question. It's found in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, if you're a visitor today, I want to give you a heads up on the back of the bulletin. There is every scripture that I plan to read today. There's also blanks listed, and you'll see these yellow words, and that's the fill-in-the-blanks portion. This question repeated what does that question reveal to you about the people of israel what does that question reveal to you about the jewish people over and over they keep asking him a question lord has the time come for you to free israel and to restore our kingdom why are they asking that in light of the resurrection in light of the crucifixion in light of the three years ministry where jesus reveals he is the messiah why they ask this question what does that question reveal about the teachings of Jesus? What does that question reveal about the expectations of the followers of Jesus? Because that has relevance in this room today. What does this question mean about the expectations of us in this room today? Has the time come for you to free us and to restore the kingdom? I can tell you what it reveals to me. A king... And his kingdom is coming. A time when the kingdom of Israel will be restored. Yeah, I said it correctly. A time marked by God, announced by God, when the kingdom of Israel will be restored. A time when Israel will be free from outside governmental controls. I was reading from the Old Testament book of Obadiah. This, this recently I've been going through study, individual chapters, individual books in the Old Testament. Last Monday morning, not by any particular plan except God's providence, last Monday morning I was reading the book of Obadiah. That's the same day that the U.S. Embassy opened in Jerusalem. I doubt it was a coincidence. And this is what I read from the Old Testament prophet Obadiah on the same day that the United States opens an embassy in Jerusalem. Obadiah 1.20 the exiles of Israel will return to the land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far north as Zarephath. The captives from Jerusalem exiled in the north will return home and settle the towns of the Negev. 
Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom. And the Lord Himself. What? Who will be in charge on that day? And the Lord Himself will be King. There is a King and a Kingdom coming. These men in Acts chapter 1 knew about the prophecies regarding Israel and their king. They knew. They spent three years with Jesus. And so they knew about the prophecies of the Old Testament, about the words of Jesus Himself. What did these men know that caused them to repeatedly ask Jesus this question? Before I read Jesus' recorded answer, I want to read to you why they knew to ask this question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? Where did all this come from? Why are they repeatedly, after the resurrection, before He ascends to the right hand of the Father, why are they asking Him this particular question? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Before the conception of Christ Himself. In Luke chapter 1, 33 years before He ascends to the Father, some 33 years earlier, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel looks at Mary and says, don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. And he'll be very great. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God's going to do something. What's the Lord God going to do? Gabriel's delivering a message to Mary. She's clueless at this point. She's terrified. The Lord God is going to give this baby that's not even conceived in your womb yet, He's going to give him the throne of his ancestor David. You know what that means? He's going to be a king. God's going to give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom will never end. This is the angelic announcement from God the Father to Mary before the conception of Christ. God has announced the end from the beginning. A kingdom ruled by a king. His name is Jesus. Not just any kingdom, but a kingdom on the throne of ancestor David. A kingdom of Israel. These apostles must have known of this coming kingdom of Jesus. Why? Because it says specifically in Acts chapter 1 that they repeatedly ask him the same question. Has the time come? Is now the time? Are you going to free Israel What from Roman rule? Are you going to free us? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now? Is it now? The prophet Jeremiah announced not only the coming king and the kingdom, but he announced the return of the Jews from all around the world before that kingdom would begin. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. Return home, you wayward children, says the Lord, for I am your master. I will bring you back to the land of Israel, one from this town and two from that family, from wherever you are scattered. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. And when your land is once more filled with people, says the Lord, you will no longer wish for the good old days when you possess the ark of the Lord's covenant. You will not miss those days or even remember them, and there will be no need. There will be no need for you to rebuild the ark. Why? 
What's so big? What's coming that's so incredible that you won't need the ark anymore? Verse 17, in that day, Jerusalem will be known as what? The throne of the Lord. All nations will come there to honor the Lord. They will no longer stubbornly follow their own evil desires. In those days, he's, he's announcing a future time. In those days, the people of Judah and Israel will return together from exile in the north, and they'll return to the land I gave their ancestors as an inheritance. What's the next word? Forever. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. It continues. The day will come says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant of King David's line. Are anybody with me? In those days, at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant of King David's line. What did Gabriel tell Mary? One from David will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. What will be the name of Jerusalem? The Lord is, its righteous, is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says. David will have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel forever. What are you going to do with this? Let me ask the church, pause. What are you going to do with this? You believe the Bible for many things. What are you going to do with this? It's announced. It's decided. It's going to happen. A, a descendant of David is going to sit on Israel's throne. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will never end. What are you going to do with this? In the prophecy of Micah chapter 4, he says this. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those who are, I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiled will become a strong nation. But listen, I'm going to tell you, when I read that immediately, I thought of 1948. You know why the Jews moved back to Israel and began a new nation in 1948? Because of the horrors of the Holocaust in World War II. What did I just read? Those who were exiles will become a strong nation. It's a 1948 miracle. 70 years ago this past week. What are you going to do with this? Compartmentalize it and go on about your life and pretend like none of this is really ever going to happen. Then I, the Lord. What? After he reassembles them, after he gathers the exiles from the scattered nations, after they become a powerful nation, supernaturally, what's he going to do? Then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. What? Then I, the Lord, I'm going to rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. What are you going to do with this? How many people in the church ignore this? Pretend like it's not real. Or maybe it's a metaphor. It's not really going to happen. Verse 8. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. I know what's going to happen in the future. 
God is going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. Do you think those 11 guys in Acts chapter 1 didn't know that? Do you think they didn't know that? Why do you think they're asking him this question? Lord, is now the time when you're going to free Israel and reestablish the kingdom? They knew this. Now, I've got to tell you something. From the United States perspective, moving the embassy to Jerusalem and all of that ruckus that's come about, I want to tell you, any nation that stands with Israel in these last days will receive the blessing. Not because I say so. Don't, don't worry about what I say unless I can back it up by this. Because I'm going to back it up. Because in Obadiah 1.15, listen to what he says. This is Obadiah. He's the one who prophesies what's coming in this kingdom. Obadiah 1.15, the day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. All you godless nations, all you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. As you did to Israel, so God says it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. He's talking to the godless nations. Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all the nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. All the nations, all the Gentile kingdoms of man that have ruled for all these years, one day they're going to stagger and they're going to fall. But Jerusalem, verse 17, but Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance do you understand now why they asked Jesus this question? Because that's my point. Do you understand why when we open the book of Acts, why these 11 guys keep asking Jesus this question? Lord, is now the time you're going to free Israel and restore the kingdom? Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. I want to hear Jesus' reply. Because they've asked him a pretty pointed question. I'll read six, verse 6 and 8. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he, Jesus, replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Father alone sets the dates and the times of this event. Notice that Jesus does not deny the event. He just says you won't know when. He doesn't deny the event at all. Instead of setting the date, instead of setting the time, Jesus clarifies the task, the mission, and the power. Did you get it? Instead of setting the date, you know what he did set? The time, he didn't set the time, he set the task, the mission, and the power that will complete the mission. The Holy Spirit's coming, and you will be my witnesses. You know which generation we live in? This one. The Holy Spirit has come, and we are his witnesses. It will start in Jerusalem. 
Jesus is making it clear. Here they're thinking that we're going to check out of here. He, they have no idea that there's a plan in place that we look at as the church age when the Gentiles of the world are going to receive an opportunity to have the Holy Spirit, to find salvation. It will start in Jerusalem. It'll start with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It will start in Jerusalem. What? The preaching of the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. The spreading of this book, this word around the world begins in Jerusalem. And it will end in Jerusalem. Listen carefully. It began in Jerusalem. It all began in Jerusalem. And it's going to end in Jerusalem. The kingdom will come to Jerusalem. And after the king and the kingdom comes to Jerusalem, on the last day, it will spread across the whole world. But it will, it began in Jerusalem, it will end in Jerusalem. In Zechariah chapter 14, how much more plain can it be? What are you going to do with this? I'm asking you again, what are you going to do with this? Zechariah 14 verse 4, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Do I have to tell you whose feet they are? His name's Jesus. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley, running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across to Azel. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come. Then the Lord my God will come. And all His holy ones with Him. And on that day, what's, gonna ha what's it going to be like when His feet touch down on the Mount of Olives? On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time, it'll still be light. On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. What are you going to do with this? And on that day, the Lord will be king over not just Jerusalem, uh-uh-uh-uh, He'll be king over all the earth. And on that day, there'll be one Lord and His name alone will be worshipped. Somebody say hallelujah. On that day. What day? Not for you to know. That day. Not for you to know. Only the Father knows. On that day, Isaiah talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. Micah talks about it. The angel Gabriel talks about it. And now the apostles are asking him about it. When's that day coming? Jesus doesn't deny that day. Instead, he focuses them on the mission and the power to complete their mission, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before I leave Zechariah 14 text, I want to take notice of the location where the feet of Jesus will stand when he comes. It's important. Because if I'm going to connect Zechariah in the Old Testament to Acts in the New Testament, you're going to need this verse. Zechariah 14.4 On that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move 
toward the north and half toward the south. I'm talking about a major earthquake is going to happen when he touches down. Where's he touching down? On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've had the privilege of being standing on the Mount of Olives. And just the Mount of Olives is truly a mount looking down into the holy city of Jerusalem. You can see the eastern gate when you stand on the Mount of Olives. Remember, this Zechariah prophecy is about 520 years before Christ. Now, fast forward some 550 years, and Jesus is with his 11 apostles before he goes to heaven. Back to the book of Acts, Acts 1, verse 9. After saying this, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. And they strain, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here? Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday. You know, there's not a period there. Jesus has been taken into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven. How? How? You don't have to guess. How? In the same way you saw him go. So if you saw him ascend up, that tells me one day there will be a group of people who will send, see him descend down. And what's the question that started this conversation? Lord, is now the time when you will free Israel and restore the kingdom? He told them that that day would be decided by the Father. You have a job to do first. And then he leaves. And then he leaves. He rises into the clouds as they watch. Two angels appear and ask what seems to be a silly question. What? what? Why do you stand here staring into the clouds? By the way, I would never tell an angel it was a silly question bad idea but what else would you do if you saw him going into the clouds but stare into the clouds don't focus on the angelic question but on the angelic announcement what was it but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go someday in the same way that's what the angel said that someday i don't know the day but someday He's going to come back as he left. Many of you in the room today, you do not struggle with the idea that they watched him go up. But many of you in the room today are struggling with the idea that one day he's coming down. In the same way he went up. Angels speak for God. And did you notice what they said? In the same way. Where were they standing when Jesus ascended into heaven? Do we know? Does the Bible tell us where they were standing as they watched Jesus go up into the clouds? Next verse, verse 12, Acts 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. Zechariah said his return, his feet would touch down on the Mount of Olives. And the angel said that his return would be the same as when he left the Mount of Olives. How does Zechariah know that, and why did the angels announce it? Why? How does Zechariah know all of this? That brings me to the question of Bible prophecy in general. 
Because I know a lot of people struggle with Bible prophecy. Why does it make people nervous? In fact, I can just say the word Bible prophecy and immediately scoffers begin to scoff. Mockers begin to mock. Doubters begin to doubt. Why? Why is that? Maybe it's because some people want to set dates. Even though Jesus told the eleven it was not for us to know the date or the time, does that mean we're not supposed to think about it? Because Jesus himself said it's not for you to know the time, does that mean we're not supposed to ever think about the fact that one day he's going to come back as king and set up his kingdom? No. I proclaim to you just the opposite. Jesus told us specifically to keep watch. All right, I'm going to ask a personal question to everybody in the room today. If Jesus told you specifically to keep watch, are you? Are you watching? Don't let, it, don't let that day catch you unaware. We're supposed to be watching. You know how I know? Luke chapter 21, these are the words of Jesus. Our King, our Messiah, our Savior, our Leader, our Lord, our Master. Here's what he says. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day, what day? Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come. Did you know, listen, that day's coming. It will come upon everyone living upon this earth. It's coming. No one's going to escape that day. That day will come upon everyone living on the earth. And then he says, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Today I tell you clearly, there's a king and a kingdom coming. Keep watch. The events in Jerusalem this past week are a sign that the day is approaching. Did you hear me? The events in Jerusalem this past week are a sign that that day is approaching. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. But don't try to set the date either. That would be a mistake. Keep alert at all times and pray that you'd be strong enough to escape the coming horrors. Why? Because what follows those events are the great tribulation. Jesus taught us to pray. And when, he, when his disciples looked at him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he does this model prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. What's it look like? What's inside the model prayer? Luke 11.1 1. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. And may your kingdom come soon. I'm going to ask you a question. Is that your prayer? Let's be honest, okay? Is that your prayer? Would you, would you stand before God and say, Lord, I pray for your kingdom to come soon. Now, listen, I've had this conversation over the years with a lot of people, and some people immediately will say, and I understand, I get it. They'll say, Terry, I know that's how Jesus taught us to pray, but I've got so many loved ones who are lost. And if Jesus comes soon, they're going to be lost forever. So I don't want him to come. Not yet. I want my loved ones, my friends, those people that are outside of Christ to come to Christ. So I'm going to ask you a question. 
If that's how you're thinking, and I know many of you in this room right now, that's how you're thinking. So I'm going to ask you a second question. So how are you living your life in light of that condition? Are you living your life like you are 100% trying to communicate the life-saving gospel of Christ to those outside of Christ? Or are you just ignoring the reality and pretending like it's not going to happen? Do you believe a king is coming and a kingdom is coming to this earth? See, I do. I do. I believe there's a king coming and he's going to set up a kingdom. Do you read and believe Bible prophecy? I'm going to hold it up. Do, do you read? You know what? I know a lot of people who believe a lot of stuff in this book, but I also know a whole lot of people that have rejected a lot in this book. Do you read and believe Bible prophecy? This way of thinking creates a worldview. How you see everything. I watch Israel and I watch the events of Jerusalem very carefully. Because why? Because I'm convinced everything written in the Bible is going to happen. Everything. I see the signs of his return. I see the regathering of the Jewish people from around the world. I see the, the 70 years. It's been 70 years since God supernaturally reestablished a nation that had been gone for 2,000 years. I can see. In Isaiah 43, it says this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Israel. I will gather you and your children from east and west, and I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. I see the apostasy. See, I, I can read the prophecy. I see the regathering of Israel. I see Jerusalem now center stage in all the world. I'm watching it. It's happening. I'm not doing it, but I can see it. But I also see something else prophetically announced in advance. The Bible says clearly that before the return of Christ, the church will experience a terrible apostasy, a terrible falling away. Falling away from what? This. This. Paul writes about it in 2 Thessalonians. I want you to look at it as a prophetic announcement of end time events. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things. About what? Do you have to guess what he's talking about? No. Clarify some things about our, the coming of our Lord Jesus. Isn't that pretty plain? Let's clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to him. Is that a hint? What's it going to be like before He comes and we are gathered to Him? Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, listen, we're not, it's not confusing. That day <coughs> will not come. until there is a great rebellion against God. Who's rebelling? We're not talking about the pagans rebelling. They've always been rebelling. Who's rebelling against God? The church. That day will not come until there's a rebe great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness, he'll be the Antichrist, is revealed. 
the one who brings what? What's the last word? Destruction. So how now, how now should we live? T Terry, if all that's true, if all of that prophecy is true, and we're standing at the, near the end of the fulfillment of that prophecy, how now should we live? The signs are everywhere. How now should we live? What should, what should describe the life of the people sitting in this room today? The eleven apostles were anxious for the coming kingdom of Christ, and so am I. But how now should we live while we wait for the coming of that kingdom? Now that you know Christ, and now that you pray for His coming, how do you live your life day by day? Titus. Paul writes a letter to Titus. Maybe this summarizes it best. Chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion of God. Is that difficult to understand? No, it's difficult to do. But it's not difficult to understand. We should live in this world, in this evil world, with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Now that you know the future, you know what's coming, how should we live? Peter writes a detailed description of that same event. 2 Peter chapter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? On that day, He will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth He has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear children, while we are waiting, while we are waiting for these things to happen, you don't have to guess what you should be doing while you're waiting. While we're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. Paul's letter to Titus and Peter's letter have some things in common. Did you notice them? Turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Repent. It's the cure. Repent. Can I ask a question in the room today? Did you walk in here today? Did you walk into this room today with any unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your heart against God? We've all sinned. That's not the issue here. That's not even the subject today. Do you think God doesn't know? You repent of that sin. You bring it out and you are set free from the sin because you, you don't make excuses. You don't rationalize it. You don't continue in sin hoping that His grace will increase. You confess that sin. Ask Him to forgive that sin. You live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God as you look forward to Jesus' return. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God.
Do you know the future? Everybody wants to know the future, right? Do you know the future? Do you know that this coming kingdom, do you know about this coming king and this coming kingdom? He will come like a thief to most, but not to the true Holy Spirit-filled church. No, the bride will know. How? I don't know, but the bride will know. The bride will be ready when the bridegroom comes. The bride won't be caught in adultery. What is adultery? It's unfaithfulness. The bride, the true bride of Christ, will not be caught in adultery when the king comes. She'll be ready. She's engaged. She's looking forward to the wedding. She's not ignoring the wedding. She's been planning for the wedding for a long time. She's not going to be surprised when the wedding day comes because it is the event her whole life is prepared for. She's not a cheater. She's not having an affair when the groom comes. She loves the groom. She can't think of anything outside this marriage with the groom. So what did the eleven do after the angel told them to stop looking at the clouds? They stayed in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. And they went out and they changed the world. And they went out and they changed the Eleven guys. Eleven guys. They changed the world. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do and they changed the planet. Eleven guys. Acts chapter 1 verse 7. Jesus replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. So they are not for you to know, but you will receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In closing, what can we learn from these instructions today? What can we learn? Number one, don't try to set the date. It just makes you look goofy. Don't try to set the date. Number two, repent of your sins. Number three, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number four, become a witness. Be a witness. Tell people everywhere, everywhere. Just mess up people. Just tell them everywhere. Some people are going to be happy because you told them. Some people are going to get mad because you told them. But you can't stop being a witness if you're a witness. You tell them. We are the ends of the earth. Remember when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. Hop on a plane and fly to Jerusalem. You'll find out. We're at the ends of the earth compared to Jerusalem. We are the witnesses that have been called and chosen to carry the word to a world that is lost. These are their names. Next verse, next verse. These are the names. Verse 13. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room. Now they're coming back from the Mount of Olives where they watched Jesus ascend. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. There's 11 of them. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. 11 men. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
several other women and the brothers of Jesus. If the Lord tarries, what will they write of your name? I can tell you what has been written about these 11 names that changed the world. If the Lord tarries, what's it going to be written about your name? What's going to be written about my name? Will they write, will they write that you were a witness? Will they write that I was a witness? These 11 names, they're witnesses. They're witnesses of Jesus. Will they write that we met together and were constantly united in prayer for the lost and the return of our king and bringing his kingdom? Do you actually believe this stuff? Sometimes I want to just shout up here. Do you actually believe this stuff? Does God have a list of names? Does he have a book with names written in a book called the book of life? The names of his witnesses, the names of those who actually believe this stuff. Today I proclaim to you that a kingdom is coming. And a king is coming, even though I don't know when. This past Monday I watched the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, as he made his speech in Jerusalem as they opened the U.S. Embassy. I want to quote to you today in closing three parts of that speech. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. This man, Benjamin Netanyahu, stood in front of the world, and here's what he says, first part. I'm quoting. I'm not adding, I'm quoting. He said, In Jerusalem, Abraham passed the greatest test of faith and the right to become the father of our nation. In Jerusalem, King David established our capital 3,000 years ago. In Jerusalem, King Solomon built our temple, which stood for many centuries. In Jerusalem, Jewish exiles from Babylon rebuilt the temple, which stood for many more centuries. In Jerusalem, the Maccabees rededicated that temple and restored Jewish sovereignty in this land. And it was here in Jerusalem, some 2,000 years later, that the soldiers of Israel spoke three immortal words. Now, I'm going to butcher the Hebrew, but I'm going to try it. And he said it, by the way, in Hebrew. He said, Har Habayet Bayadanu, which means the Temple Mount is in our hands. Which lifted words that lifted the spirit of the entire nation. And then he said, We are in Jerusalem and we are here to stay. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Why the Temple Mount? Why is it so important that he stands there that day and says, These world-changing words the temple mount is in our hands why why do you know does the church understand what's taking place who cares about the temple mount it is the throne of the king it's in here when gabriel said that jesus is going to come and sit on david's throne he's going to reign over israel forever it's not going to be in washington dc It is the place of his name. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu then did something. He quoted, listen, I got goosebumps standing on top of goosebumps right now. He quoted Zechariah chapter 8. I'm going to tell you, I know Zechariah chapter 8. And he stands in front of the world and he quotes Zechariah chapter 8. And when he did, I almost fell out of my chair. Because here's what he said. The prophet Zechariah declared over 2,500 years ago, what? 
Here's the declaration, and I'm quoting. So said the Lord, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. You know what he's saying? You know what this guy is standing? We're opening the U.S. Embassy. Why opening the U.S. Embassy does this guy stand in front of the world and says, what? The Lord said, I will return to Zion and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. You know what he's saying? The king is coming to Jerusalem and he announces it to the world and all the press and most of the media and they're all like, well, so what? What are we having for lunch? Do you understand? These events are the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. They're what the world has been watching and waiting for. There's a king and a kingdom coming. I don't know what day. And then he says this. Last one. May the opening of this embassy in this city spread the truth far and wide. And may truth advance a lasting peace between Israel and all of its neighbors. And he said, God bless the United States of America and God bless Jerusalem, the eternal undivided capital of Israel. And then he does this long Hebrew thing that I'm not even going to attempt, but I'll give you the English version. Because here's what he says. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. There is a king and a kingdom coming. I'm going to ask Chad to come out. And the king himself told you and I in advance, don't let that day catch you unaware like a tramp. For that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. Are you ready? You see, I cannot, I, I can read the Bible to you and I can explain what I think, but you know, I can't orchestrate all that stuff that's going on in Jerusalem. How do you explain it? Coincidental? You can't make this part up. There's a king and a kingdom coming. I'm not trying to set the date. I'm not. But I'm hoping it's soon. Are you ready? We're going to sing a song. We're going to offer an invitation today. If you have not confessed the name of this king yourself, we offer you a time to do that. If you walk out today and you have not received Christ, you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have rejected this king. You have told him you don't want him. You refuse to bow to him. It's on you. Let's stand. Who speaks with thunder?